This is Scott Archer, pastor of Central Congregational Church in La Mesa, California. Thank you so much for tuning into our Sunday service podcast, CCC Sunday Messages. I hope you find the messages both challenging and encouraging as you seek to know and follow Jesus in your daily life. If you live in or ever happen to visit the San Diego area, we would love to have you join us for worship and fellowship. For location, service times, and other information about our church, please visit our website at cccLamesa.com. CCC is a small but passionate intergenerational church working together for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors near and far. Let's open our Bibles back up to the Gospel of Mark. And we've only got about two or three weeks left in this Gospel as we have been um, going through this series that we've entitled Getting In on the Good News. And last week uh, I said that I thought we'd been in the Gospel of Mark for about nine months, but uh, as I was flipping through my notes or my uh, files on this sermon, I realized that we've actually been in it now for over a year. Uh, so thank you for hanging in there with me. I hope this series has been beneficial to you. I know it has to me, just in my own reading and my own study and prayer. Uh, but we've got maybe two or three weeks left. Um, and uh, so let's get into it this morning. There are uh, You should have received an email with the, uh, a PDF of the written notes, typed out notes. And there's also notes in the YouVersion Bible app through uh, uh, the YouVersion. Yeah, in, in through the YouVersion Bible app. I just said that twice. Um, so this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 42. Uh, it's, it's the passage that has the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, it's one of the most poignant, powerful, even distressing passages in all of the New Testament. And the title of this message is Praying Through. T-H-R-O-U-G-H. Praying Through. Um, that term for praying through is sort of an old-fashioned church term, probably more particularly for Pentecostal uh, Christians. Um, the idea that uh, there's something going on in your life, something going on in the world, there's somebody you're praying for, and you sort of just get so intense and so desperate that you you begin to seek God in prayer, um, and, uh, and you just sort of keep at it, uh, at home, at church, wherever it might be, on your knees, but you just sort of go after God in prayer regarding this situation uh, until you get to some point of breakthrough. You're praying through to the other side or to some sense of peace or some sense of direction or that you feel like you've sort of broken through uh, in, in your prayer time. Uh, I have an aunt that's a few years older than I am that I remember vividly as a young woman, even as a young woman, probably young college, maybe maybe even high school. Um, I remember when I was staying at her house, seeing her in the middle of the night on her knees, just crying out to God uh, for some issue in her life and sort of not being consoled uh, until she had that breakthrough, until she prayed through. And I remember my grandpa, uh, who was a great pastor, minister himself, uh, talking about we need to pray through. Um, and the Context of this morning, I want us to, I want us to uh, be really challenged in our lives as to the role that prayer plays in our lives, uh, and especially during this time. Because, you know, uh, as has been said, desperate times call for desperate measures. 
And I don't know about you, but I feel like we're in desperate times for a lot of different reasons, and I won't try to go into them all right now. I think we're aware of most of them together. And um, maybe it's a good time to say, well, how am I responding uh, to the times in which we're living through? How am I, uh, am I feeling anxious? Am I afraid? Am I frustrated? Am I angry? Am I over it? Uh, do I not, you know, whatever it might be. And then what am I doing with those feelings? Am I, am I numbing them out in some way? Am I um, uh, expressing them in appropriate or inappropriate ways? ways? Um, but in the midst of that, what role does prayer play? Are we using, in this desperate time, uh, is there a desperation in prayer and in seeking God? Um, and, and I think we all, you know, I'm assuming that everybody or most everybody I'm talking to this morning believes in prayer. We probably all pray at some level in our lives. But, you know, in the world we live in today, we're so used to instant gratification in so many different ways. Um, I'm so used to just being able to grab my phone and say, you know, hey, Google, and it dings, and I can look up anything, I can schedule an appointment, I can order food, I can just, everything is right at our fingertips. And if we're not careful, we tend to treat God that way. And we sort of want, we, and we, so oftentimes we don't pray through uh, because we pray for something and it doesn't, we don't get an answer, we don't hear anything, nothing happens, and we say, oh, well, I tried, but I'll move on to something else. And I want to challenge us um, this morning to learn to persevere in prayer and to use the example of the, the desperate prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as, a, as an example to encourage and challenge us. And another way we can talk about praying through is persevering prayer. And to persevere is to continue in a course of action in the face of whatever difficulty there might be, even when there's little or no prospect of success. That's the dictionary definition of persevere. Now, we know in as followers of Christ that when we pray, pray there's every possibility of success. Not necessarily that God's going to answer the prayer the way we want, but we're going to have a a real encounter with God. And we need to, and I'm preaching to myself as much as any of you today, in light of everything that's going on in the world and in our lives today, we need to learn to pray through. We need to learn to persevere in prayer. In Luke chapter 18, uh, the, the story Jesus told is recounted about, about a widow who is not being treated fairly. And it's a parable, and she's not being treated fairly, and she goes to a judge who the, the parable says he's an ungodly judge. He doesn't care about her. He doesn't care about God. He only cares about herself. She only cares about herself. And uh, she goes to him and says, hey, make this person uh, do right by me. And he basically ignores her, but she just keeps hounding, keeps hounding, keeps pressing in, keeps persevering. And the parable says that, um, that finally the judge, not because she cared, he cared for her or God or anything else, just to get her out of his hair, he finally granted a request. And in Luke chapter 6, it says, And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust says, judge says, uh, that, you know, I don't really care about you, but I'm going to do this for you anyways, just to make you go away. And in verse 7, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes... Speaking of Jesus, when he returns, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find us pressing through, learning to pray through, persevering regardless of what 
whatever's going on. And in this parable, it's talking about justice, but it could be for anything uh, in relation to our life with the Lord and in our lives in the world. Excuse me. So let's read the passage together, and then we'll make some comments about it. Again, it's Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 32. Did you have something to say, Rhonda, in the back row back there? Oh, I said Luke. Thank you. See, the the peanut gallery is correcting me back here. (laughs) Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 42. uh, That's great. Um, It says, so they went to a place, uh, Jesus is with his disciples. Uh, They've just come from the upper room, if you remember last week, the, the Passover meal. They went to a place called Gethsemane, which is on the Mount of Olives, just right across from the city of Jerusalem. And uh, they went to the Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. He's anticipating his trial, his torture, and his crucifixion. He prayed that this, if it was possible, this hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. I love the honesty of the Bible. Simon, he said to Peter, Are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and he prayed the same thing he prayed the first time. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer, speaking of Judas, had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, Jesus said, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Some people believe that Mark inserted that last little bit about the man fleeing naked because it was Mark himself. Um, Something you can think about. So here's the central thought as we begin to get into this passage. We get in on the good news. The good news of Jesus Christ coming as the king to establish the kingdom of God and eventually to make all things new. We get in on the good news when we imitate Jesus, 
excuse me, we get in on the good news when we imitate Jesus' practice of passionate, desperate prayer, seeking and submitting to the will of the Father in our darkest hour and relying on his grace to see us through the trial to a new day. Let me read that one more time. We get in on the good news when we imitate Jesus' practice of passionate, desperate prayer, seeking and submitting to the will of the Father in our darkest hour and relying on his grace to see us through the trial to a new day. Praying through, persevering prayer. There's four things I want to mention from this passage about persevering prayer or praying through. We perse- First of all, we persevere in prayer because... Jesus can relate to our deepest anguish and our most desperate fears. I'm going to take the most time on this point because I think it's, uh, to be, it's, it's something we really, really need to hear. Oftentimes when we think of God, uh, I think oftentimes we think of God in a very distant manner. And we, we uh, project all sorts of things onto him. Um, and, uh, you know, that he, we believe he's near maybe, but we don't. We don't really, uh, and when we pray, we're not sure, you know, is, is he just some uh, uh, being out there that's not really affected by our, our needs and our concerns? We need to hear in this story and the, of Jesus' desperate prayer, him throwing himself on the ground and saying that I am, I, am, uh, I am sorrowful to the point of death. The Greek words in this, I won't take time to tell you what they are, but they, they are the most impassioned uh, words that he could have used to describe. It's like a shuddering horror that he was feeling. And we need to know, and we can persevere in prayer, because we need to know that Jesus absolutely can relate to our deepest anguish and our most desperate fears. And when we say that Jesus can relate, what we're saying is that God can relate. Because God was in Christ, offering himself for us. Isaiah 53, verse 3, prophetically says this about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Brothers and sisters, how would it change our prayer life how would it change our ability to pray through if we really believed that God only, not only sees our need and our hurt and our fear and our desperation, but he's actually experienced it. And, and he's actually experienced it maybe in, in a level that most of us, for sure, a level that we will never know. Now there's a theological um, uh, idea that has been around the church for as long as the church... Uh, for in the first few hundred years of the church, uh, a sort of a characteristic of God called the impassibility of God. Actually, there's two. The immutability of God and the impassibility of God. The the doctrine of the immutability of God means that God being God and outside of time and space uh, cannot change because he's the changeless one. If he changes, the idea is that everything else would sort of shake and fall apart. And the impassibility of God means that God is uh, somebody that cannot suffer. That he's, again, he's outside time and space and he can't be affected by things because of his perfection of his being. I want to challenge those doctrines today. Uh, and I'm not doing this on my own. Those are, they have been questionable for a long time and they're just more recently being challenged uh, more directly. 
And I want to specifically speak to this idea of the impassibility of God, that God, uh, because he's God, uh, cannot suffer. Listen to this quote from the, a book by uh, a really brilliant pastor theologian named Greg Boyd from his uh, book, uh, it's a huge two-volume opus called uh, The Crucifixion of the Warrior God. He says this, um, excuse me, I'm sorry, this first quote is from the Gospel Coalition on their website. Listen to this. Impassibility, or the, the, the idea that God cannot suffer. Impassibility does not mean God is apathetic, nor does it undermine divine love. Divine love. God is maximally alive, it says. He is in his attribute, uh, excuse me, he is maximally alive, in his, attribute, in his attributes are, are in, infinite measure. Excuse me for the stumbling over that. Therefore, impassibility guarantees that God's love could not be more infinite in its loveliness. Finally, impassibility provides great hope for only a God who is not vulnerable to suffering in his divinity is capable of rescuing a world drowning in suffering. Think about that for a minute. And think about this passage we're reading. This is, this is articulating a very widely held understanding of God, especially within the church. For some, this is orthodox belief, this idea that God cannot suffer, he does not suffer. And they're saying we should find great hope in that because even though we suffer, we're giving our confidence to one who doesn't suffer. I find that hard to square with what we're reading in our passage today. Now the longer quote from Greg Boyd's book, The death of the uh, crucifixion of the warrior God. Greg Boyd says this, um, <clears throat> if we anchored all of our thinking in the cross, and what he does in his book is he talks about this idea of the impassibility and the immutability of God. When those ideas were first developed, it's because they, the minute that thought of these things, thought before we look to the scriptures to understand who God is, we have to have a reasonable idea. What, if there is a God, what would he be like? So they came up with some of these characteristics, and then they began to look to the scriptures. Greg Boyd says, if we anchored all of our thinking in the cross, would it ever occur to us that God is altogether immutable or unchangeable? The word was made flesh and became our sin and our curse. Along the same lines, if our complete trust was in his supreme revelation on the cross and not in our reason, yeah, and not in our own reasoning processes, would we ever suspect that God cannot be impacted by what transpires in the world or that God cannot suffer? If we trust that the one who hung in agony on the cross reveals God's nature, would we not rather conclude that God is profoundly impacted by what transpires in the world and is capable of the greatest suffering imaginable? And finally, if all our reflections about God began with the cross, I submit that the very last thing we would ever suspect is that the relationship between God and the world is real to us, but not to God. And that's from Greg Boyd. I know there's heavy theological stuff there, but I want to just really drive this point home because I really believe that one of the things that keeps us from praying uh, more regularly and more passionately is because we aren't really convinced that God really understands what we're going through. And I would say that this picture of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as the weight of what's coming begins to bear down on him. And then obviously, as the passage talked, the quote talked about it, coming to the cross, 
they demonstrate that God absolutely, not just intellectually, but experientially, knows the deepest physical and spiritual and emotional anguish that any of us could ever walk through. And that gives us great hope and great motivation to persevere in prayer. Secondly, we can persevere in prayer, and this is related, because we can be completely honest and totally vulnerable with our Heavenly Father, our Daddy, Abba. Jesus says in this passage, when he goes and says he falls to the ground, and we know from this recount, the recounting of this story in the other Gospels that it says he was so stressed that he, he sweat dr- great drops of blood. His blood pressure was so increased that it was pushing out through his pores. And he throws himself to the ground and he doesn't speak in King James English. Oh God of the heavens, you know, look down upon your poor son. It's, it says that he, he throws himself on the ground and he says, Heavenly Father, Abba which is the most intimate term for father in the Aramaic language. It would be like us saying, Daddy, Dad, look upon me. Have mercy upon me. If this, I know you can do all things. All things are possible for you. And if there is any, and listen to what he says. He says, if there is any other way to do what's ahead of us, let this cap pass from me. me." He's being totally vulnerable and totally honest. And we can, that's an encouragement to us. Listen to Psalm 31, verses 9 and 10, and it's thought that Jesus' prayer in the garden is really modeled partly after this psalm. The psalmist says, Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed with anguish, and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction, and my, gro- uh, my gro- bones grow weak. Brothers and sisters, friends, when was the last time you and I ever prayed a prayer like that? When is the last time we ever got that honest and said, God, Father, Abba, Daddy, I don't like what's going on. I am in pain physically, emotionally. I'm, ex- I'm afraid. Um, I'm angry. Whatever it is. Can we listen to the prayer of Jesus in this moment? as the weight of what's coming begins to mount on him and and in the mysterious mix of the fact that Jesus is fully God and fully man, and in the mystery of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he cries out and just says, is there any way this cup can be taken from me? We can persevere in prayer because Jesus knows our pain and our anguish and We can persevere in prayer because Jesus models that we can be completely honest in our prayers. In fact, I don't think we're really praying until we get to that place. Thirdly, we persevere in prayer because praying through, hanging in there and continuing to pray, uh, whatever that looks like, enables us to know and submit to God's will and steals, S-T-E-E-L-S, and steals our will to face every trial with faith and courage. Jesus has thrown himself on the ground. He cries out to his father, to his Abba, and he says, you can do everything. You're the, you're, you have all power. And so if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But in that moment, and we don't know, and it says he went back three times, checking on the disciples in their sleep. And, uh, and he comes back and he, and he says, finally, but not my will but thine be done. Not my will, but yours be done. 
He comes to that place where he knows that even though what's ahead of him is scary, it's painful, it's in, in some ways even unknown, he trusts in his Father's love and he, and he submits his will to the will of the Father. And we look to the passage once, once he gets up and he tells his disciples, wake up, time's up. He's a, he's a changed person when he stands up to meet Judas and this group of thugs that come to arrest him. There's a calm, quiet in him. There's an authority in him because he has prayed through and he's learned God's will. He's submitted to it and it has steeled his will. We see an example of this in Acts chapter 4, verse 20. Uh, I'd encourage you to read the whole beginning of the chapter. But uh, James and jo- uh, Peter and John are arrested and thrown in prison and they get miraculously released. And, um, but persecution is starting to break out on the early church. And they gather together and they begin to pray. And they begin to pray this really great prayer. And you can read it. They recount who God is and the history of what he's done. Um, but they keep praying in, in, a, in verse 29. It says, Now, Lord, consider their threats, their governmental and religious leaders, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They prayed through. They persevered in prayer until they came to that point. And it wasn't just like, about, Lord, protect me, get me out of this, but Lord, give me the strength, the courage, the wisdom to be the person you've called me to be and to do your will. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The famous Danish uh, philosopher and theologian from the uh, 18th century, Soren Kierkegaard, said the function of prayer is not so much to influence God, even though I believe God is influenced by our prayers, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. Isn't that true? We come to God with all sorts of requests and all sorts, you know, all sorts of things in our mind. But if we learn to persevere, if we learn to pray through, I believe one of the main things that will happen is we are changed. Our will gets changed. Our desires get changed. And we get encouraged and we gain courage and strength and faith to walk out the lives into the world the way God has called us to. And again, I am preaching as much to myself as I am to you. I need to hear this today. And in the midst of all of this, just as an aside, as I mentioned earlier, I'm so thankful for the for the honesty of the Scriptures. There's such a contrast in this passage between Jesus and the disciples, right? And, um, and uh, you know, the disciples, they just don't get it yet. Even in, even in this hour, they don't get it. And, yeah, Jesus will pray for you. And it obviously had been late at night. And I would be right there with the disciples. And even with Peter, James, and Johnny, he brings the, all the disciples to one place and says, hey, stay here while I pray. He takes Peter, James, and John, the ones that have been the most vocal about following him and doing whatever it takes. And he says, all right, we'll come a little farther. And then he goes a little farther away and they all fall asleep. Man, I can relate to that. But that leads to our final point. We can persevere in prayer now in a way different than the disciples could at that moment. Because now the Spirit of Jesus is praying with and for us and helping us to stay awake. (laughs) I know many of you, if you've ever tried to pray very long, you get distracted, you've probably fallen asleep. Um, But I don't believe the disciples in that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane they, there was no way they were going to get what was going on. We know the whole story. They didn't. Even though Jesus had told them many times they, he was going to die, they didn't have a box to put that in. But once we come to 
the book of Acts, and we come to the coming of the, 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 the disciples being filled with the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of Jesus living in them, their whole lives are changed. There's a power, there's a, there's a courage, and there's a faithfulness in prayer and in life that is like nothing they'd ever experienced before. And so we're on that side of the story. And so now when we pray, we can begin to open our hearts and we can say, God, I want to pray, but I'm tired, I'm distracted. And we can say, Holy Spirit, well up within me. And we have the promise that the Spirit of Jesus is praying with and for us and helping us to stay awake. We, hear this, we see this clearly in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes through us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with God's will. Isn't that amazing? We can persevere in prayer even when we don't know how to pray or what to pray about. We can just say, God, I'm, I'm afraid, I'm stressed out, but I don't even know how to approach this. And we can just wait on the Lord and we can trust that the Spirit of Jesus will come alongside of us and he will begin to help us enter into the presence and the purposes of God. And the very next verse after what I just read in Romans 8 is a more familiar verse. It says, you know, it says the Holy Spirit comes and he helps us in our weakness and he prays for us, basically. And verse 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. We have that promise. We have that confidence. We can, we can pray through. We can persevere in prayer because, first of all, because we know that God in Christ Jesus knows at the very deepest level. He doesn't just know, but he has experienced the pain and the anguish and the fear, all of those things we're going through. We can persevere in prayer because we, uh, because we know, like Jesus, we can be completely honest and vulnerable. And we can persevere in prayer. I just forgot my third point. <laughs> um, we can persevere in prayer uh, because as we do, our heart gets changed and our our, we, our will begins to submit to the will of God and he steals our will. He gives us courage and faith to do the things that he's called us to. And then finally again, we can persevere in prayer because now on this side of the story, we know that the spirit of Jesus Christ is praying with us. And no matter what we pray, no matter what's going on, we know the scripture doesn't say all things are good, but it says uh, that we know in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him. And we know that was true for Jesus, obviously. That the reason the cup couldn't pass from Jesus is because it was the way that salvation was going to come through his death and his crucifixion. And that's what led to resurrection. And we can have that confidence in our own prayers if we're willing to stay in the fight, if we're willing to get on our knees even physically at times and just cry out to God. Brothers and sisters, can I encourage us in that? When the reality and the weight of the, of the moment came, Jesus uh, when that came to Jesus, he instinctively and he honestly turned to his father in prayer. And this was Jesus' habit. We know this from the rest of the Gospels. Jesus was regularly going to quiet places, desolate places to pray. And so when, when times got tough, that was just his natural go-to. So what is, it, what is your and my go-to activity when the circumstances of life get really difficulty, difficult, even crushing. Do we watch more Netflix shows? 
Do we turn to alcohol or drugs, maybe? Do we uh, start shopping online more? (laughs) Uh, Do we start gossiping or ranting on uh, social media, whatever? Or do we just isolate and sort of hibernate? Maybe we go to bed. In the stress and weight of the moment we are living through right now, do we feel the need and do we have the confidence to come passionately and desperately and honestly before our Father in prayer, trusting that he loves us and he knows us and he feels our pain and he's waiting for us? Now, I know many of you have regular prayer lives and you would say, amen, this is what I do. I've been on my face before God. But I also know there's others of us that really hasn't been a habit. And so can I just encourage us to take advantage of this. Whatever you see on the news, whatever's going on in your life, as the old uh, hymn says, take it to the Lord in prayer. But not just in trite prayers, not just in simple prayers, but learning how to pray through, how to persevere, and trust that as we do that, God will meet us. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this incredible passage that, that that this is preserved, Lord, that one of the disciples, we don't know how this happened, but one of them was watching and understood what was going on and took the time to write it down. And we see your vulnerability. We see your desperation, but we also see you push through to that place where you said, but not my will, but your will. And because of that, Lord, we have all benefited for eternity. Lord, forgive us for our lack of prayer, praying. Forgive us for our lack of faith. Uh, I just would pray even today and as we move through this new week that we would have a renewed confidence to learn to seek you more faithfully, more fully, and to learn to pray through. In Christ's name, amen.